0: Live, juicy, inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the Food and Beverage Magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hello.
1: Hello. Hello, Laverne.
0: Hello, Laverne. Hello,
1: Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: What's going on? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> come on, let's
0: get to our guest. Forget everything else. We are I'm very excited about it. We
1: are the Laverne and Shirley of the uh, food industry. This is very funny. So, so had- Can we not be the
0: Lenny and Squiggy? Why does it have to be Laverne and Shirley? Can I be the Fonz? Can we just start off to be the Fonz?
1: Babe, you are the Fonz.
0: You no, know I'm the Fonz.
1: So listen, I've had people email me. i had two people email me and say, I love your kimono and you never actually wear it on the show. How come you don't wear it? And I thought about it for a second, and I realized it's not that I was saving it for special guests, because all our guests are our good friends, and everybody's special. But today was one of those shows when I felt like I really had to pull it out of the closet, put on my best threads, and show up. Because we have International Association of Culinary Professionals Award winner, leading celebrated chef, author, consultant, restaurateur, and one of my all-time... He has He has do.
0: one of these. Doesn't he have one of these, too? A couple of these?
1: He's got more things than I can count. But I'm going to tell you, before we introduce Raghavan Ayer to our audience, he's somebody with whom I feel a special bond and um, kinship. Because we are of the same generation in the world of food, and we remember then and now. And when you started talking to me yesterday, and over the last several days, we've really been percolating in, in this idea that we wanna revive that intense passion and inspiration that every operator and entrepreneur had when they started their business. Because with this pandemic, we're all getting a reboot and no one's talking about that broadly and widely yet. We're all still worried about how to keep people safe. Let's just assume we get there and we will keep giving you tips from experts on on how to do that. But what we really wanted to do and what we've really been seized by is this idea of re passion and few people have been in this business so long and with such sustained intense inspiration and passion as Raghavan Iyer and we're going to talk about how he took his most recent passion and the amalgamation of his cuisine cultural influences to come up with this fantastic mouth watering irresistible basically Indian pizza concept uh, among other things still rocking it still actually delighting and satisfying his guests and truly cultivating conviviality Mm. as well as flavor. I have to tell you, my spice brother from another mother, Mr. and Chef (laughs) Bhagavan Ayer, hello and welcome.
2: Well, hello, Mrs. Spices and Mr. (laughs) (laughs) Politz. Hello, Chef. Great to be here. And I'm so, again, I'm just so pleased by all your successes as well. So it's, it's always great to see Great things happen to great people. So Thank congratulations you. on your new show.
1: Thanks. Raghavan, let's go back for a second. You've been in this business a while, and
2: mm-hmm. you share your
1: perspective um, with people so generously. Um, and you've been in the business a while. How do you see this pandemic hitting our business? How do you, as one of our sort of, you know, I mean, you're you're practically, a, what's the term they use for professors? You've got tenure, you're a tenured professor professor in the world of food, uh, because you really have that kind of um, gravitas. How do you see this pandemic hitting our industry?
2: I really feel this is, you know, it's like somebody is coming with a bulldozer and everything is being leveled out. And um, I think this might be a great opportunity for, you know, for the food business to sort of start with a clean slate um easier said than done you know but uh because all of us wear such multiple hats and you know most of us in the food business especially in the circles that jennifer you and i've been involved in you know we wear multiple hats and um you know and everything is right at the moment so um i think in the restaurant world per se i mean um I really feel, you know, a good 60 to 80% of the restaurants will never open.
1: Wow. That is a huge number.
2: It is a huge number, you know, and I think because profit margins have notoriously been low and, you know, people and restaurant operators and owners, and I'm talking more independent, you know, I mean, when you're a large corporation and entity like a McDonald's or what have you, you know, and they've got the, uh, resources and uh, the wherewith to sort of ride to ride out these tough times but the small independent operators don't you know I mean they basically live um, you know month to month and then you yank something like this um, um, out of their um, realm of any chance of making any money you know and that completely goes it's not like they've got you know deep pockets or large reserves of money set aside for times like this, because um, so I feel that's, you know, um, and I feel like the onus of, um, of, of a restaurant succeeding now really is on the consumer because um, you know, unless and until, you know, the prices are, are jacked up and, you know, you're covering not only costs, but you're also covering, you know, the healthcare and other needs yeah. of uh, people that are working in the industry. And as we know, you know, these are people that are not getting, you know, beyond a minimum wage, if, even if that. And uh, you know, they're not going to afford, you know, some of their basic needs met. And so, unless right. and until we do that, you know, we're not going to be able to. Uh, Um, you know, see any kind of growth because, you know, we talk about, I always go back to the whole concept of, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, you don't have your basic needs met. And so how are you going to sit there and self-actualize because, um, you know, once you're insured that, yeah, you're in a business where you're always waiting on people, you're feeding people, but your stuff may go home and not have, anything at your own table to eat you know and so
1: i, I uh, love I, that you mentioned the maslow hierarchy of needs now, mm-hmm. i think about it and talk about it with friends regularly because i think it's an mm-hmm. interesting for people who are joining us where would you put foodies and operators hoteliers and restaurateurs uh in that relationship with the maslow are our maslow hierarchy of needs the same as non-foodies
2: Mm, not really. I think, you know, when you look at like human, this is, I just feel like we're all human beings, right? I mean, all our needs are similar, basic needs of food, clothing, shelter, love. I mean, all of that is, you know, so it's such a common denominator for everybody. But I think as, you know, when you look at people that are in the business of, you know, putting out a good meal or a good experience you know um, uh, they themselves have to have their own personal I mean I remember when I was struggling when I first started you know 25 30 years ago I mean I would do these caterings and I would you know you know fortunately it was a good business for me but But I remember going to some of these events and doing some of these events and I would return to my hotel room and it's like, you're busy feeding everybody else, you know, and the last thing I thought about is like feeding myself. And so, so you come back to the hotel room and it's like, there's nothing to eat, right? So, uh, so that particular thing is not, is not addressed. And so I feel like unless and until, you know, again, you make that analogy, right? That you see in the airplanes, you know, the flight attendant always says, you know, put your oxygen mask on before you help others, you know, so so I feel in a way I'm listening until you as a food professional are, are, you know, physically content and you're, you know, you've got a good meal in your belly and you've got, you know, the wherewith to actually, you know, do the work so that you can give somebody else a great experience. And I feel like it's sort of like the same analogy, so.
1: I wanna talk uh, to you about spices and flavors. You're one of the most uh, limitlessly creative food professionals that any of us have ever met. And I don't know if it is because you have traveled such great distance from where you start in the world to where you're cooking today. The influences you have, your just innate talent and curiosity. But I wanted you to do a, to speak about the fact. Maybe not even speak about. Can you talk about the the colors and flavors that you that you paint and cook with?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the reason you know why I, I I dig deep and I get a lot out of something is you know because I'm Indian. <laughs> <laughs> We dig and we dig and we dig and we get everything out of there and we dig some more. And <laughs> um, nothing like goes
1: to waste.
2: Nothing goes to waste. And, you know, and I think that's so reflective of a culture like that, you know, and I still am fortunate that I get to go to India regularly. And I can see that with multiple lenses and, you know, and I see how, you know, people survive and make, Brilliance out of nothing, you know. Yeah. And so, I look at you know some of those restaurant kitchens, which are really you know they could be a, a street vendor, you know, and and the street vendor's cart is barely six feet long, you know, and so.
1: But it produces so they, that,
2: or it can produce. produce. Yep, absolutely. So I feel like you know it's the it's the knowledge of what you're doing and and paying homage and being truthful to uh, your food. And it is eventually, as you know, you know, you go to a restaurant that could be drop dead gorgeous to look at, you know, the ambiance would be perfect. But ultimately, you know, people walk away and they remember the food or not. So I feel like the food plays such a big role. And, um, um, you know, a lot of people are, for them, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, that's like a, by the way, kind of And I'm thinking whether you're writing a cookbook, whether you are a teacher, whether you have a food show, whether you are you know consulting, but it is ultimately it is about the quality of the food. I mean, whatever that you're eating has to provide that satiating factor that I think is so important. And you could tout yourself as being, you know, one of the healthiest cooks out there, you know, I, I'll use all right. these whole ingredients and healthy ingredients. But if you don't know what the hell you're doing, the food's right. going to taste like shit. So I feel like, um, ultimately, you have to understand what these ingredients are, and what you do with them. And it's only then I feel like then you can start to create and flourish. How uh, so does
1: your, um, let's, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy of flavor?
2: Yes. I always say, you know, when you think about the world of flavors and when you're planning a meal and you're planning a menu, you know, I I go back to, you know, my chemistry degree, right? It's a simple equation. Flavor equals taste plus aroma. Oh, I love that. Can you say that again? Yeah. Flavor equals taste plus aroma. And so when you look at the taste component of that equation, you know, we address seven taste elements, hot, sour, sweet, salty bitter astringent and umami and then you look at the aromatic component of the equation because the food and i always say that's what i'm not saying every dish has to have all of that but if you're looking for a whole meal experience a complete meal should address all of those elements in its varied capacity The seven taste elements the aroma but the other thing that we also i feel like you have to address is the world of Texture, the world of color, um, the world of temperature, because that's what ends up, you know, constituting an amazing meal is whether you have all of those accomplished and then you feel like, okay, I've eaten something that is absolutely memorable. And I think that's um so when I plan a menu, you know, when I'm entertaining, and again, it doesn't have to be an elaborate thing. I mean, it could be simple dishes, you know.
1: Well, and we're all locked at home, and sometimes we're in day two, three, or week two or three away from the grocery store, mm-hmm. and we may have very limited things to work with. I've been mm-hmm. astonished at what you've been producing and putting on Facebook, but then again, you are one of the hundred most influential um food people uh, for home cooks of the last century. So it's not a surprise. Uh, and you are an Emmy and James Beard Award winner. So that should be no surprise. But I have to tell you, it's that what I, what is not even surprising but delightful is that inspiration that you that you approach the world of food with, even when you're in lockdown, even when you're in quarantine, and even when you haven't been to the store for a few days. It's in that that you really are very influential.
2: Well, thank you. You know, I feel like my creativity comes alive when I really have not much to work with, because then it pushes your mind into really looking at a particular ingredient, you know, I mean, right now in the middle of, well, towards the end, I have a six month deadline left to turn in my seventh book. Um, And so I feel like I'm in that phase where I'm always trying to create something out of nothing, you know, because you look at cultures from around the world, they're all masters, right, of creating something spectacular out of nothing, because it's not about, I don't know if you remember, but years ago there was a husband and wife team that did a beautiful, and this was when Copia was alive and well. Oh,
1: wasn't that uh, wonderful?
2: And, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and where, you know, they had this, pictorial representation of, you know, everything a particular culture eats during the course of a year. And, you know, you saw these larger-than-life displays and you realize it's like, you know, when you look at opulence and material wellness, which translates to the abundance of the food that is in that room, which overtakes the room, the majority of them are packaged or processed, you know, and convenience products. But you look at cultures that have really not very many means in terms of money and material comforts. You know, you you look at their table over the course of the year, and they all have ingredients that require them to be put together. And, you know, basically your, your from scratch cooking, you know, and I mean, these are cultures that to this day live the lifestyle of plant-based diets because that's where, you know, the goodness is, as we all now know in our, you know, Western reawakening in a way. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, everybody should, you know, you look at the buzzwords like plant forward and, you know, everything else. And it's like... our farm's table, but it is farm's
1: table it. is funny, especially when you live on a farm. I mean,
2: you know, <laughs> little, uh, you
1: know Raghavan and I have um, so much uh, of a shared history uh, in our industry, in in spite of the fact that um, he's been. Uh, Primarily in the middle of the country and we're rarely in the same room at the same time Although we've been very blessed to be at many places Mm -hmm. at the same time and get to share bites and sips But one of the things that's extraordinary to me about about what he's talking about is There are cultures that we could use the term monolith uh, Mm -hmm. And we we tend to Wrongly in my opinion, but we do it anyway. We think of certain food cultures as monolithic chinese food mm-hmm. Indian food mm-hmm. mexican food mm-hmm. and when you when you when you unwrap and unravel and tease out the elements of what mm-hmm. those are comprised of, you realize they they are wonderful worlds unto themselves mm-hmm. you see.
2: it uh, you've hit the nail on the head, you know because that's my biggest pet peeve, it's like. You know, people say, you know, oh, let's go have Indian food or let's go have Mexican food, let's go have Chinese food. Nobody says, no, let's go have American food or let's go have Canadian food, you know, or, you know, there's always a specificity that comes with when you're looking at foods from Western cultures, you know, and so, you know, I'm going to put my, you know, this is not my holier than the heart, but I feel like, you know, You brought up the issue of we're right now living in a world where people wear their racism on their sleeves, you know, and uh, um, you'd think everybody, when people talk about, you know, everybody says, oh, yeah, he's um, Asian American, she's Japanese American, he's Mexican American, she's African American, he's Indian American. And so what I have taken it upon myself now is every time I talk about all of these, I attach a qualifier and I say European-American because it, I feel in my mind, it levels the playing field. And what's um, the word? European-American. European.
0: That's brilliant. Raghavan because that's f- brilliant.
2: Well, thank you. Because I feel like, you know, we, it's almost like, you know, people say, "Well, it's like you're perpetuating them and us." I said, "No. All I'm really doing is I'm playing the leveling field. I'm leveling it out, sort of, because it's always been something American, something American. But any anybody who's non-Caucasian, who's non-European descent, you know, it's always the qualifier attached to it. And I feel that is so unfair. So I feel like European Americans are also foreigners in this country
0: right that's the funny part ragavan that's yeah. the funny part right like european because you know my family came from eastern europe right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. however many uh, in the 1800s yeah. and right they weren't american you know now they'll look mm-hmm. at me and they'll say oh he's caucasian he's american but no really mm-hmm. i'm eastern european right mm-hmm. and i and i was actually well, I, like my, so, my son know that what's that
1: we take one look at that put him and we know that you can see
0: the face. <laughs> well, that's what they're like, what are you? Are you Jewish? And I go, Jewish isn't a nationality, but thank you. And the big joke is my son, they're like, oh, he's Jewish Hawaiian. And I'm like, How about, he's Eastern European God. and Hawaiian,
1: right? He's just beautiful. Hey, you know what you guys are reminding me? This is this is like a conversation that's taking place in the world of gender. And yes. as an activist um, in an entirely different realm of my world, it reminds me, you know, when someone, because I, I, um, I tend to dress from, from here down, like from the screenshot down in my Mr. Jennifer Man Pants for Girls based on my foodie <laughs> build, <laughs> because they just suit me better. Uh, but- I need a
0: TMI banner right now. T- I'm making a TMI banner because but, but- Raghavan and I did not need to know that.
1: <laughs> Rockman already. Knew this. He oh, already I know a lot
0: about friend. Jennifer. So.
1: <laughs> so, but here's what's funny. You know, we talk about gender non-conforming. What if we talk about ethnic non-conforming?
2: Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Um, and Isn't that's that what he's hungry. doing?
1: Well, yeah. In a sense, that is what he's. That's what we're Tell all.
0: Tell us doing. about. So when we were on the other day with what was her name? Kamal. Uh, what was her name?
1: Maya Kamal. Oh, Maya Kamal. Kamal.
0: Yeah, she's a dear friend, on
1: our love Isn't stuff. she lovely? And, and actually, we were talking yeah. about you too.
0: They, Ragavan, they were talking behind your back. I'm not going to lie. That's all. <laughs> I felt out of place. I felt. Hor- I, I went to go. I said, "But I love the vindaloo." Why are you being this way to me? And, <laughs>
1: well, and Michael said, said "I love Indian food." <laughs> <laughs> Tell, repeat
0: them because. Tell us about your pizzas because she was talking about them I and everyone's talking. I want to hear about this.
2: Yeah, which I think it's sort of it's a great segue into our discussion about how. You know, you put people in boxes and in these little, you know, you assign labels to them. And I was, and I see this when I wrote um, the book about potatoes, you know, it's potatoes from around the world. And so. Um, and tell everyone and, the
1: title so they can um, order it on um, Amazon because it is yeah, one of those things that's great for the. Um, Pantry, the pandemic yep. pantry. It's pandemic pantry, super friendly.
2: It's called smash, mash, boiled and baked and fried too. So it's about, um, I'm going to try potatoes. to find a picture of it. <laughs> it, um, you know, and, and so when I wrote the book, I mean, I also looked at the fact that there's a reason why potato is the fourth largest crop in the world. And, um, So, I wanted to provide a very, very, very global approach to the recipes. Um, The book has a total of 75 recipes. And um, I think it has only maybe one, maybe two max recipes um, from a couple of regions of India. And, um, but you know, so when I went on book tour, reporters always would say, oh, you know, oh, we love Indian you know potato recipes and oh we're so looking forward to the book and i would very politely say i said i'm sorry but i think you're going to be disappointed if you think this book is about you know potato recipes from india i said this is really i said you're going to have one or maybe two recipes from india and i said but the rest of it is from the world and so people look at you and they assume that the only thing you can do is food from India because that's where your cultural roots are from. And so, and I've lived in the U S more than half my life. And so I've been here for 36 years. And so, um, so I feel, you know, I, 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 I like to work with flavors and you know, to me, that's what I, I try to do. And I look at, uh, and I've applied that same realm of thinking to, um, the pizzas and the restaurant is called pizza karma. And, um, Always. I've always said what defines pizzas are the medium of cooking. Yeah. So you look at restaurants that will say coal-fired pizzas or wood-fired pizzas, you know. Um, but I've never seen a restaurant that has done um, pizzas that are fired in uh, clay-lined ovens. Uh, in now, is a clay-lined
1: the- oven always a tandoor?
2: Uh, in some parts of the world, it's called a tendor. Uh, but that's the other piece of it, is that style of cooking in clay-lined ovens is in 80% of the world. And Is that um, what
0: naan is made in? Naan is, in the clay- is, is in? one of
2: the breads that's done in um, in that clay-lined oven.
1: But in the it's made in it as well.
2: Yeah, and you go to, um, in Armenian culture, I mean, they do lavash, which is done... Um, in the inner linings of a clay-lined oven, um, you in go Korea to,
1: and China, it's yep, that's ridiculous. exactly
2: it. They, yep. And there's a street food, and so I remember when we had just opened, there were we had a couple of guests that were visiting from Shanghai, and you know, they both looked at the ovens and their eyes lit up, they go, like, oh, "We cook on this all the time." And so, so I said, "That's exactly my point." I said, "So the menu is a reflection that." That style of cooking is in 80% of the world. So The menu is very global. So I've got um, um, the dough that is, has a double cooking technique, right? The first one is three quarters cooked in the inner lines of the oven. And we peel it off the walls and then we top it off. And there's a option of four to five global sauces from around the world. I have everything from um, Harissa from North Africa to, um, Oh, sort of an homage to the um, uh, to the south of the United States, where you know they do you know so many wonderful things with greens. And I have a sauce that's done with mustard greens and spinach greens that's pureed and flavored with chilies and garlic. And you know then I've got a from um, um, Indonesia. I've got a roasted uh, lentil coconut milk sauce with. Um, Chilies is an option. Oh, God. I've got um, Michael. Is your t- mouth
1: watering? <laughs>
2: I, it's like everything I dream
0: about, right? Like I would go <laughs> in the refrigerator and dip and I would like <laughs> jars of like stuff. And people would be like, What are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's like, that's tiki masala sauce and a pizza. What's wrong with you? Here's, uh, here's he, a picture we got. Look at this. Look at this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Who is this um, handsome guy? Yeah. That's our, uh, our friend. That's my, that's my, uh, that's my pandemic look.
0: <laughs> it looks amazing. And then we have the, and then we have the book. And then and we have then the we book. Have I've got been got doing this back. while you guys are talking.
2: Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. And then we so have more books more, more books, more books. Yeah. I've got six total working on my seventh one, um, which is also with Workman Publishing. And it's a book that's called uh, The Master of All Curries, 50 Essential Curries from Around the World. That's brilliant. So looking at the diaspora of curry powders as seen through the eyes of the colonial British, uh, because they're the ones who came up with the concept of curry powder. Curries as a concept is so different in India, and that's what the book 660 Curries is all about. But this is now sort of like a companion piece to that book, where now you're seeing, you know, how the rest of the world looks at curry powders, uh, which is very much an English concept. And so That book is supposed to have 50 recipes. And so that's what I'm working on. And so, you know, we're looking at, you know, everything that the spice trade touched, right? All these different countries along the spice trail, which has also followed the silk route, you know.
1: Raghavan, Um, um, one of the things that I love the idea of is the words in the language of the Indian continent cuisine Mm -hmm. for mixture. And mm-hmm. we have words that have come to mean mixture like curry, but we mm-hmm. also have words like masala. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and can you just talk a little bit about the notion of flavor chords and the combining or mixing of elements to create these um, complexities, I'll call them, but they're yeah. really humble, simple complexities, which is a conversation in itself.
2: And the complexity really comes from, it could be one ingredient used in multiple ways, you know? And so I've always said you give whole spices to a good cook. He or she can extract eight flavors from a given spice. And so depending on what you do with it. And so um, one of the books that I wrote, you know, sort of teaches you the building blocks of cooking the Indian way, uh, using 10 ingredients or less, including spices. And so brilliant. Uh, And I remember one of the recipes in that book, which I did with um, fresh cucumbers, you know, I did a a vegetable stir fry with it. And so you take, you know, these, especially certain times of the year when you know the cucumbers are going to be all over the place. And so, uh, and I love, I don't know about you, but I love cooked cabbage. I love cooked cucumbers and people never think about that. So there's a recipe where I take the cucumber, you peel them and you Slice them in half and get rid of the seeds, you know, because it's all waterlogged. And so, and then you cut them up in cubes. And then, in a little bit of oil, I um, sizzle some cumin seeds in there, you know. So that's one flavor, right? And then you add um, the cucumbers to that, and I stir fry that. And the beauty of of cooking with cucumbers is when you end up cooking it, it doesn't take much time anyway. You're talking, you know, it's all part of that squash family, right? And so. So when it's done, which takes you less than five minutes, um, and then towards the end, um, I add to that a little bit of ground um, turmeric, and I'll take cumin seeds, and I'll grind it as well, and I'll add ground cumin to that, and a little bit of cayenne to it, and uh, maybe a chili in there as well for heat, because I love heat. Uh, And then uh, salt, obviously, to bring all the flavors together, and then I Give it a burst of squeeze from a fresh lime. And then, you know, in that simple stir fry, created such complexity by really using one spice in two different ways, which is the cumins, which are used as a seed and then they're ground drawn and then added towards the end of the cooking process. So you get this sort of this nuanced complexity, which I think is uh, uh, really, and to me, that's what, you know, and not just food from India, but any culture, you know, one of my, and you probably, you both have known her quite well, but one of my dearest friends is Linda Zara Casper. And uh, um, we have, you know, now that unfortunately she's retired, as you know, and so she's, well, she's no got more time
1: late. on her hands.
2: <laughs> she does, you know, and so, uh, but, but it's also brought us closer together as friends. And so we've known each other good friends for a long time. And um, before the pandemic hit, you know, we, we used to get together probably once every two to three weeks and share a meal together. And, you know, and we are, so if we go to a restaurant and having a meal and we would be, you know, let's we meet at 5.30 for a meal. And we don't get out of there till 9.30, 10, because <clears throat> we're just, we're talking. That's you know, fun. We can talk, and this is what you know. We talk about, right? I mean, everything and anything that has to do with food, and we were talking about this whole concept about. And I was telling her, I said, you know, unless and until people start, especially again, I'm talking about the Western world where people start to attribute regional um, techniques and so on to a particular cuisine. I said, it's only then I feel like a cuisine has come into the mainstream world of, you know, so it's like when you look at, you know, you look at, you look at the US now and, you know, now everybody talks about multiple regions of Italy, right? Because before when you talked Italian food, it was all bread sauces in Southern Italian. And then, you know, of course, and Lynn did the, um, you know, the ginormous sort of the y'all and tell all about foods from Emilia-Romagna, you know, and that completely opened up Whole region of Italy that people never realized in and and, you know?
1: and 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 you and you start discovering that there are heretofore swoon worthy, yep, mm, delight. You love
0: that swoon worthy <laughs> delightful. Mm. Yeah. There's the, a let me tell you, there's a hidden gem, and I hate to say it now because I feel an uh, Indian restaurant in Vegas. There's a, a <laughs> well, next time, Raghavan, when you come into Vegas, I'm going to take you to this restaurant. And well I'll guy, take
2: you up on that. He might already.
0: my, my friend Chris to Vegas, no. You need to come because my friend Chris opened a place called Mint and okay. it's all it is spec I don't even know how to say, it's just spectacular. The guy mm-hmm. every little detail it is spec it's you know it's not you're just you know I love there's a place called Mount Everest. there's a place called Gandhi and, you know I love them mm-hmm. all but mm-hmm. what Chris is doing is what Raghavan is doing, doing with the spices. They have a, las- a lasso bar and the whole, you know, he goes crazy with all these things and it is unbelievable. And it's exciting. Like I've always travel when I go, I always try to go to an Indian restaurant. I try to go to an Ethiopian restaurant. I want to, you know, wherever we are in whatever city we're in, we want to really get to the right to get down and dirty in there. Right. And you mm-hmm. can see differences in when people are working with different spices. And the fun is when there's like elders in the kitchen that's when you know you're in the right place, right? Mm -hmm. Like Jennifer's age. When you see women in the kitchen Jennifer's age on that clay oven, making that garlic naan, popping it up with butter, I know I'm in the right place. My
1: arms are waddling while I do it. Listen, I have to tell you, when I when I look up at the screen, sometimes I I feel so comforted because I think I see my grandmother. I'm like, oh, Nana, how nice! <laughs> That's like my Nana. But you know, uh, Raghavan, our dear late friend uh, Nathan Fall, uh, who left yeah, us far yeah. too soon. He's a dear yeah, friend to us
2: both. I still, I it still doesn't sit right, you know. And so, uh, and you know, again, here talk about a voice that. You know, went too soon, and yeah, you know, the way he died, and you know, he he was he died exactly the opposite of the way he lived, um, and that to me, you know, he was one of the kindest, most gentle people around, and you know, we you know we were very very close, as so were you, Jennifer, and uh, you know, and we had a lot of laughs and a lot of cries together, you know, and so um, it's it's gut-wrenching to think about, you know, I mean, there's a voice that, you know, and and he was um, a great teacher because he was a great um, learner. He constantly was open to was learning something.
1: He insatiably curious about the world yes. of food yep. and limitlessly generous.
2: Yes. And um, so, you know, and I think that's the piece. That's what makes you know, and I remember the first time ever that when I went to my first IECP conference, which was, I don't know, the late, uh, 19 or maybe mid nineties, I think. no, 1995 or something like that. Yeah.
1: That sounds and was, right.
2: But, yeah. And that was about the time when, you know, Julia Child was still alive. And I remember this was the first time when we were in Chicago. And so, uh, I was sitting in a seminar and, um, you know, but within a couple of minutes, when the seminar started, this larger than life person came and sat next to me and I turned and it was Julia child. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, and so um, um, and then, you know, she is. But again, talk about somebody with an, uh, with an insatiable curiosity. Right. I mean, that's why she was such a brilliant teacher, because she's always learning. And so. Um, you know, she was also getting older, and you know, I would, um, and once in a while she would, um, you know, doze off in class, and then she'll <laughs> wake up and she goes, What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you know, I just never wanted to miss out, and I think that's, yeah. um, that's, that's what makes, um, and you see, you know, we both, and we all have some personalities in this food world that feel like they know everything, you know, and they feel like there's nothing for them to learn. You know?
1: Well, I, I want to bring up Nathan because in, the, in recent years, with the entire world for him to choose from, he yeah. led culinary tours to India. Yeah. And not just to India, the monolith. He was going on very specific regional tours that were culinary tours to India and he was mm-hmm. zealously passionate about really going deep and getting very intimately involved with regional and local and hyper local things that were so irresistible that you couldn't discover them unless you experienced them and he mm-hmm. understood that and so that's one of the things that made him such a great teacher and mm-hmm. tour leader but i'll i'll tell i wanted you to comment on the fact that that was such he could have gone to china he could have spent 20 years mm-hmm. going to china he speaks chinese uh that's mm-hmm. his uh ethnic origins his family traditions but he chose because he thought it was so seminally fantastically interesting and important to go to india Can you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah i think secretly he wanted to get all the shawls that i was buying there <laughs> <laughs> It's like, bitch. That's not yours. That's mine. (laughs) That's funny. funny. And so, but you're right. I mean, you know, he he truly loved uh, the nuances, and you know, he. uh,
1: Can I tell you a body story? Yeah. There's a marvelous (laughs) woman who used to have a restaurant in Vancouver, and Mm -hmm. Nathan and I would go visit her regularly. She subsequently moved to, I believe, she went to Jaipur and but she made the most wonderful doses and she had a technique because she was really a master where she could make two doses at the same time
2: mm. and
1: Nathan and I were standing aside her in front of her griddle making the doses and watching her deftly and swiftly and expertly make these doses mm.
0: explain and the dose explain the doses just to be safe so everybody knows what it is we're talking
2: about it's it's a it's a um, it's a very thin lacy crepe that is done with rice and a particular kind of a lentil that is soaked and ground and the batter is fermented. And then, um, you know, and then it's it's ladled out, you know, thin on a flat top, well-seasoned griddle, and it cooks on one side. And because it's so thin, you don't have to flip it over because it cooks on the top right. side as well. And so... You can eat them plain, you can eat them with chutneys, you can eat them with stews or vegetables. Mm. And, um, you know, the home cooked dosas are usually smaller. They're about, oh, you know, maybe six or seven inches in diameter, slightly thicker. The restaurants, they do the more showy ones, right? Where it's, I mean, there's a one 14, particular kind 16 of.
1: 15 inches in diameter.
2: Yep, yep, All right, finish your story, Jed, I'm
0: sorry. I want to make um, sure everyone knew what we were talking about.
1: Okay. Yep. So anyway, we are standing beside these expertly prepared doses, and one set went down, and they were just, it was as if uh, these were the most um, touched by the gods doses you'll ever see. And Nathan turned to me, and he was very handsome and very boyishly good-looking. And Nathan turned to me when these two, ultra large, symmetrical, perfect doses were on the griddle. And he turned to me and his eyes he went like this, like he could do. And you know, his eyes were (laughs) and I said, I said, I know. And I said, these are the double D doses, aren't they? Because they (laughs) (laughs)
0: double D brothers.
1: And he said, and he he gave me the indication that that is exactly what I was trying to say.
0: (laughs) That's Jennifer, this is, awesome. is a family show.
1: I know. <laughs> I, I want to go back to Copia before we wrap up, and and I want to address a couple of things. I know raghavan has got a limited amount of time, and I'm I'm so generously. I mean, I'm before so you connected.
0: do that, can I can I just show this picture to you, Jennifer? Because it's very regal, and I want to make sure that it, everyone sees it. I mean, it is a handsome, regal. Look at this. Isn't look at lovely? this. I'm just no. saying, is this a television star on Bravo? I don't. I, I,
1: you know. <laughs> oh, he is a, he's an Emmy Award winner, of course. He's a television star. He's in everything. There you go.
0: Look at this. Look at this. He's got a I face for television, you. Jen. No, he's well, fantastic.
1: Listen, um, <coughs> we've got to talk about uh, Pizza Karma,
0: and mm-hmm. I don't
1: know, Michael, that you featured Pizza Karma in Food and Beverage Magazine.
0: No, we will though now for sure.
1: Well, we have to. But one of the things, uh, Raghavan I want to I want to address is what inspires inspired you to tap into that workbox. When you open a restaurant, when you develop a concept, it is a hell of a lot of work. And you've Mm -hmm. done it enough times and been in the business long enough to know what it takes. And yet, like the greats, you know that you're constantly evolving, constantly learning, constantly being inspired, innovating and creating. Mm -hmm. You had something that sparked in you that let's do this. With, will you talk about that? Because we're trying to inspire restaurateurs at this unique moment in time to reignite that passion if they had it and discover it if they hadn't.
2: I remember about um, oh, a little over two years ago, um, I was approached by these couple of gentlemen and said, oh, you know, would you mind creating a couple of sauces for us? We're really interested in a you know, we wanted to do a, a conventional pizza place and maybe have a couple of, you know, sauces from India. And so, you know, I, I looked at them and I said, you know, I said, um, I said, how about some free advice? I said, they go what? I said, the concept sucks. <laughs> I said, They were shocked, you know, and so... Um, I don't know, maybe I pulled out Motiva hat or something. And I said, I said, honestly, why would somebody come to your pizza place when you don't have anything that really stands up? I said, you know, I said, I said, here's a concept to think about. And so I've been mulling about this concept forever. So I fixed them the idea of of, um, pizza karma. And I said, you know, I said, do your research. And I said, you know, come back and let me know. I said, if you're interested. I said, I will be more than happy to be your consultant for that. And I will come up with the concept and the menu and the recipes and I'll do the training. I said, I don't want any ownership interest in it. But I said, you know, it's just a, I said, it's a concept that I own. I said, I'll give you the permission to use it. And so it's a very franchisable concept. Uh, right now, they've opened two locations and um, they were about to open a third one in the Twin Cities. And, you know, of course, in the Pandemic then the kitchen, <laughs> so that's put on hold um but i think it lends itself really well because people are looking for exciting flavors you know they're looking for i mean gone are the days i really feel about sitting down and you know having a fine dining experience there you go i mean look at that you know it's oh
1: my gosh
2: um, uh, chock full, chock full of flavors and you know and it's very substantial i mean but it's still—it is about that style of cooking pizzas. Is everything's about the pizza, and so. Uh, look at that. Yeah. It. Um,
0: Jennifer. I, that's I, still, look at this.
1: I, I'm, Michael. I can't well, get enough. Michael, when I tell you my friends are coming to visit with us, and they're going to knock you off your <laughs> chair.
0: I would rather go to them. Like who knew?
2: <laughs> who knew? Wait, I know. talk
0: about this. Did you have restaurants in Minneapolis originally? Is that how you, is that I've always.
2: no, Well, I've got a couple of degrees. I have a degree in chemistry from Bombay University. And I came to the U.S. 36 years ago for my second degree, which was uh, hotel restaurant management. I went to Michigan State. Uh, Oh, wow. So that was, you know, again, in the field of hospitality. But that was more on the managerial side of it, you know, so. And then I got a job at working at a restaurant in the Twin Cities area. So that's what brought me here. And it was a North Indian restaurant, you know, which is the cookie cutter restaurants you find in the Western world. And you know, I've always said, you know, there's a gnome sitting under a tree somewhere, stamping out those <laughs> cookie cutter menus, you know. You've got your same old tandoori chicken and your naan and your four sorry sauces, you know, and that's all you find. And so. Um, and, um, I've always said the best way to showcase a cuisine is to really present it in a way that, you know, is recognizable to people. And it's, you know, and I do that in my teaching. I do that in the books. And I remember when I was on tour, um, oftentimes I would go to these, you know, um, large corporations and, you know, places that where food service is run by, one up a team management company, and you know they have, you know, some amazing places like they run cafes and like Google and Cisco and Yahoo and you know eBay and things like that. And so, um, and I would go to some of these where you know they have a large Indian population, and so um, you know Indians would come to me and say, "Oh, you know, you're not doing Indian food; you're j- cooking." <laughs>
1: and,
2: and I would look at them and I said. You know, and there was, you know, your food is not authentic or classic, which are two words I absolutely hate. Um, and I turned to one and said, and I said, define to me what is your definition of authentic? And he went on and, oh, my mother did this and my, my mother does that. And at one point I said, I'm not your mother. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> I'm really not that much of a bitch, Michael.
0: <laughs> I swear, I swear, I can tell.
1: No, no. But, but my... he is an absolutely deserving diva because when you have worked to establish a standard and educate people so tirelessly and generously as he had, you're entitled to say, but I've been I've been trying to teach you about this for a long time and I'm going to remind you gently of this standard.
0: Mm-hmm. But you know, Jack, don't get offended, Raghavan, because I'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. Whatever Jewish deli I go to, someone will always say, that matzo ball soup is not good there. It is not effective <laughs> Dude, Stay away from that soup. Those matzo balls are too heavy. Every right, everybody's uh, got a stick. Everybody.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, you know, again, right? There are two kinds of Jewish people in the world, right? The ones who are floaters and the ones who are sinkers. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. And I'm in the floater category. I love the matzo balls that are like and so right one of my dearest friends um is um physician he's retired he's jewish and so he's a great cook and uh i remember years ago when i went for my first um passover meal at his house and you know because i'm a vegetarian he made me a vegetarian based broth and you know uh, nice and so he is a remarkable cook and you know so um we were sitting with his family, and I had I had put my first mouthful of the matzo ball soup in my mouth, and um, <laughs> and his sister says, Mine, Jeff. Your balls are light and fluffy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't even want to be in this conversation with you two. I don't even want <laughs> to this. What is going on today, Jennifer? Listen,
1: <laughs> Ragamana and I are being very, very good.
0: Naughty. <laughs> Naughty, Naughty would be the word oh, I no. would use. Honey, and my rock stars, all my that. rock star friends wouldn't even go there. I am shocked oh, at the naughtiness of you chefs. Oh, you don't Not even do you
1: know do from naughty. Yeah. Hey, listen, in the minutes that we have left, Raghavan, is a teacher. Yeah. I'm gonna turn to you and, and ask you, is there something you can share with us that plants like a seed, that thing like a like a kernel of popping corn that will burst? Into inspiration, passion, and and reimagination and reinvention of every restaurant that is in that ambition to survive this pandemic, but is going to require an operator to be really reimagined and really reinspired and reignite their passion. Is there something you can do or say that's going to give us something we can carry in and and? And blossom and bloom like a spice.
0: And don't um, hold back.
1: Is there <laughs> anything we can? Is there anything we can yeah, say that can inspire I feel, these
2: guys? You know that that I always say, return to the basics. In a way, you know, I mean, look at. Don't think you have to like do something that is larger than life, you know. And you've got, you know, especially in the restaurant world, right? To do something that's larger than life, I and mean, you're going to have a larger than life labor cost and you're going to have, you know, high food costs. And so you want to do things that are inherently cheap and simple. Uh, but, and but smart. And smart. And you could do remarkable things. That. And so um, I feel that's, you know, that is so essential in understanding foods of different cultures, you know. And I think that's what, so if you're doing you know you use the word fusion and I've said, you know India's been doing fusion cooking for six thousand years, you know right? every invasion, every foreign power has introduced ingredients and techniques that were not native to India, but you know it's certainly you know a big part and parcel of it. So I feel like even here in this culture when people when chefs are doing all of these, as you know, you know the hot topics that are trending right now on social media, I forget her name, I don't know, who, um, who pissed off a couple of, you know, I think she pissed off Chrissy Pugin and somebody else, and Marie oh, from, uh, and,
1: from the Bon Appetit series?
2: Yeah, and so she said something about, you know, she had put together a recipe, and, and she called it, you know, she gave it the hashtag, the stew, you know, and, uh, the flavors were very quintessential from you know, the southern part of India. And so right. it was, I hate to say it, but it's a curry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And she goes, it's not a curry, it's these <laughs> Yeah, Or it was chickpeas with coconut milk. Yeah, right. and it's like, okay, you know, I mean, that's the piece of it, right? If you're going to talk about it, if you're going to do something from another culture, don't have the audacity to say, you know, oh, you don't know what it is. Let me tell you what it is. This is what it is pay some respect and homage to the culture that has been doing something like that for thousands of years, you know? And it's like, yeah, this is something that I saw in Southern India or Northern India, or whatever it is from Ethiopia, but respect to the source of it. I feel like that is the most, you know, that's in a way as a teacher, you know, you could you would go, go back to what gives you a credibility as a teacher. You respect the source it comes from, right? I mean, all of us know that we're not sitting there creating something brilliant that has never been done before. If you think you're the first one doing it, then you're sorry except, well, except, except for that. For, well, except for that. Well, except for that. Who did that before, huh? Huh? I'm oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna who, call it the pizza. <laughs>
0: who did that before, huh? This well, guy know. did. That's
1: who did. And you know what, Julia would love that pizza.
2: So she went because she loved, you know, again, she loved honest, good food, right? I mean, towards the, you know, end of what she was doing, filming the um, cooking with master series, you know, I mean, she wouldn't have the energy to stand and cook, right? But she would, right there, she would pull up a chair and she would, you know, be larger than life, hovering over whoever's cooking and she would be involved that way, very much in your face. And, you know, it's like, tell me what you're doing. Why are you doing that? You know, what is that, the curiosity? And so, and even if it's making, you know, mashed potatoes, I mean, it's one of the most basic, simple things you can do, but if you understand, um, yeah, in that book, I have a really phenomenal recipe that I call The Ultimate Mashed Potatoes. Because
1: and they're delicious. It, we tried them. And they are.
2: Yep, and they are ultimate. And you could call them hashtag The Mashed Potato. <laughs>
1: well, Raghavan, I, I know you've got to run, but um, I'm going to raise my glass and tell you this little anecdote. On the day, and I'm sure you remember this, but on the day that Copia was opening...
2: Mm -hmm. I was
1: seated outside the restaurant, which is known as Julia's Kitchen. Yes. And I was sitting with Julia. And, you know, I'm originally from Boston, and I had grown Mm -hmm. up not only watching Mastering the Art of French Cooking as a book and then watching her as Mm -hmm. the French chef on TV on our local public television station and Mm -hmm. having her be part of our local public television auctions. I mean, she was Mm -hmm. at the grocery store. I'd see her at Mr. Savinor's or... Mr. Dewar the Butcher or Captain Martins, the fishmonger, we would see her there. Mm-hmm. But I was seated with her in Napa, California, the weekend of the Gala opening of Copia, and I had my glass and she had hers, and there was a little white wine in each. And I and I asked her, I said, Julia, what was the toast that you and your husband Paul would share when mm-hmm. you welcomed guests and entertained at your home? And so mm-hmm. she took her glass to mine. Mm-hmm. Linked it to mine and said, Le Carillon de l'Amitié, the Bells of Friendship. Oh. And so,
2: that that captures everything, you know.
1: May we hear the bells of friendship when we're together and in the spirit of this world that we share, may you be inspired by the words of our guest, Raghavan Ayer, to go in your restaurants and and reimagine what's possible.
0: Thank you. And And thank uh, you for joining us, Raghavan. Thank uh, you for all the wise... A man of your age has much wisdom, and we'd like to share that. Is <laughs> I that okay,
2: <laughs> well, I just turned fifty-nine. There you go. Okay, so I'm just I'm just coming up behind you,
0: Ragman. So don't worry. Now, when this all ends, I want you to come to Vegas sure. and spend a couple of days in Vegas. Jennifer will come, mm-hmm. and we'll just. Eat our way through all the most fantastic I would restaurants.
2: Love it. And that's, that's it's interesting fun. because that's one city in the entire United States I have yet to go to. So I would love to do it.
0: So. Oh, we would love to have you. We would love to host you here in Vegas, right, Jen?
1: Absolutely. absolutely.
0: Can we right. take him to I Honey salt? salt? Honey salt, Elizabeth's oh, we have restaurant? To,
1: we'd have to start with Honey Salt.
2: Okay, yep. good. Anywhere we can get a fantastic martini and then we can move
0: i like to say anywhere that's free, then we can get the martini.
2: (laughs) That's a given.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir. We'll make you a better martini wherever we are in the world. And I wanted to thank you for coming. And we really will um, endeavor to um, uh, do something with your Mashed and Smashed book, because it really is the pandemic pantry-pleasing book of the moment. And, Uh, Raghavan, if you and I could chat offline, we'll, we'll grab one or two recipes and share them in our upcoming June issue.
2: Perfect. Sounds like a idea. Thank you, idea. Michael.
0: He's my friend now. Okay. Thank well, you, Raghavan. Of course
2: you are, Michael. Yes. I will talk to you both and continued success with your show. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm in love. I'm in love. Right. right? One time, I'm not going to lie. I met Miss India, right? And I was in love right then and there. And I said, this will be the only Indian that I will ever love. I will never, the whole continent, I will never love again another from another continent. Now She was lovely. Well, she was Miss India and she was just so polite. Like I've never seen anybody so polite in my life. And uh, now I think that I. What's that?
1: And a little bit beautiful.
0: A little bit beautiful. But, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When you look like me, not so many people are that much more beautiful, you know. But in the end. I think she's trumped out by Raghavan. That's it. Plus I don't think she knew how to make a good butter chicken. You know what I'm saying?
1: Can I tell you pizza karma is something that is going to be part of our next wave.
0: Pizza karma oh, right? is the most brilliant idea I honestly have ever I've heard literally I've heard probably in the last 6 months and I have guys hitting me with stuff all day long. This and you were trying to tell me about and I was like whatever whatever whatever. I, right,
1: remember I, that? I tried to tell you
0: but the, oh my god. Now you, you get it. Think, Let's think about it. Peace. All right. So, um, what's that? Uh, the California Pizza Kitchen, right? If you go in there, you can get that like Thai pizza. I remember getting the Thai chicken pizza and it was like, "Ooh, we're so trendy," right? This mind-boggling. Like I I would take dates, go, "Hey, let's go to California Pizza Kitchen, CPK," huh? we'll get some Thai chicken pizza, right? And then the girls from Maryland would be like, but I like barbecue chicken pizza, right? Because, they're, you know, it's a little bit south. And I'm like, oh, no, this is mind boggling. This, another notch. I mean, I, he needs to be in Vegas. This is like, what Vegas is. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how many they would sell. Just boom, boom, boom. I just boom, want boom. you to
1: imagine the next Las Vegas food world. How do you not have a pizza karma?
0: I can't even, I mean, you know, you talk about, I, my friend uh, Gio owns Pizza Manzu and he uses a beautiful sourdough crust and it's a delicious pizza and he puts prosciutto and, and all that on it. This would be mind boggling. I can't Ready? even imagine.
1: Mind blowing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wanna actually like, you know, it's almost like I go to this fair, this county fair in California and everyone laughs at me and thinks that I'm disgusting. Especially my family, but they have uh, orange chicken burritos, like Chinese orange chicken burritos, right? Yeah.
1: And,
0: and then, and then I'm like, I have to go to the to the Orange County Fair because it's the only place I can get my orange chicken burrito, right? Then I saw this guy was making fa burritos, but he went out of business, and I never got to taste it. But there was the song, concept, that was the problem. No, there was no soup in it. It wasn't like you didn't bite and get <laughs> squirt in the face like it was a sponge. But this, I, I don't even like to use the word fusion. It's like, because it's, it's not. not it's fusion. like
1: it's not a fusion.
0: No, I mean, I'm literally, if I have a pizza crust here, if like Papa John's has good pizza crust, you know what I mean? When yeah. you're done with that, yeah. I'm dipping it in honey. My kids are like, you're disgusting. Why are you putting honey on pizza? You know, anything, anything I can find. Anything. I'm telling you, I buy all the little things, the little jars of Indian... Although you know I could whip them up myself. I don't know why I buy them. Yeah, right? but you know
1: what? Maya Kamal has done that for us. That's why the well, Maya, we were talking to right? her, we were imagining how we're dipping and tasting and mixing and
0: I mean why am I dipping chips in salsa all the time? There's no reason for it, right?
1: Unless it's the most, mean, I... unless they're the most irresistible chips and it's the most irresistible salsa. If this time hasn't taught us that if everything is uncertain, meaning we don't even know if we get a tomorrow, make every meal count. Make every sip count. Make everything count. And if you're going to go. Are you ending to- the show?
0: Are you ending the show right now?
1: No, but what I'm. No, yeah. it sounds like. Or are it- you just.
0: on? A, are you on a rant? Because it sounds I'm like you're a, ending the show.
1: I'm on a toot. I'm on a toot. OK, go
0: ahead.
1: Because it's as simple as this. Don't waste a bite, a sip, or a morsel. We have to be present and make everything as irresistible as possible. And when we have a pantry and we have limits, we turn to our friend Raghavan. We turn to our inspiring teachers and chefs and mentors who inspire us to to try to get irresistible at that level. Almost irresistible means go back and keep trying. Only if and when and unless and until you hit irresistible do you actually say, now that's what that's supposed to taste like, and that's where we're supposed to go. And we can't compromise that any longer. Even if, that. Great, even if it's a peanut butter sandwich, if it's a piece of toast, if it's a burrito, it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's an irresistible example of what it is.
0: I think you're the, irresistible.
1: Well, it's just because I'm wearing my fancy coat today.
0: I'd like to get on a text with Raghavan and and you, and we can just talk about how irresistible you are in your kimono.
1: No, let's talk about how irresistible his pizza at Pizza Karma is.
0: Notice I said kimono. I know. I'm going to have to go to Minneapolis now just to have some.
1: I think We should have someone come from Minneapolis with one in a box for you.
0: I'm going to go to this guy Chris's place, Mint. I'm going to go make me a pizza, bro. And he's going to look at me like I'm crazy. I swear to God. And he's going to look at me like I'm nuts. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm going to leave if you don't. And he's so worried about the whole Food and Beverage Magazine thing. He'll have all the guys in the back, right, whipping up, get the chicken out of the tango oven. They will come up with something. And I'm telling you, this is a brilliant concept. It can't be done by anybody but him, right? right. It has got
1: be delicious, but it won't be the irresistible that no. Raghavan does.
0: No, of course not. We know that. No, we know that. um what a show what a delight
1: well i gotta tell you we were supposed to have another guest on with us today Mm Karine Lacoon from kb network news she is known um to everyone as the iron palette if you were a fan of the iron chef shows when our good friend carrie simon was rock and roll chef carrie simon and todd english and the other chefs were there and iron chef cat cora and iron Chef play she was regularly one of the judges she was often the judge who was considered to have the most impeccable palate. but she so what happened? Also, Where is she? She was supposed to be on with us today. And she, she, never, she never had heard. an emergency and okay. is going to be on okay. with us again another day. She's completely fine, but she okay. uh, is begging to uh, for, ha- begging for forgiveness.
0: But she has, you talked about- I, the, I like that, begging for forgiveness. Well, because Raghavan would have it no other way.
1: Miss India didn't have manners as- impeccable as um, <laughs> <Kareem Da Koon.
0: laughs> you're great. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, you know Jennifer. why? So, you know why? Uh, why?
1: Because she went to sacred heart, just like I did. We are educated uh, in the same tradition.
0: I am just glad that we, that she almost didn't come on because Raghavan, who you told me we only had 20 minutes with turned out to be an over an hour. Thank God, because we needed him.
1: And we ran out, we out of time. And we ran out of I, time.
0: All day long I could talk to him. He is so fun and so enchanting and, and so engaging. I mean don't call me later and tell me he, somebody said something nasty about him because I'll get mad. You know how you do that sometimes. Okay.
1: Nobody on the planet says anything about him cuz he's genius. Anyway, you know this- what
0: he's like you know what he's like Jen? He's like an M&M. Candy, candy on the outside, yummy delicious chocolate on the inside.
1: Oh, he's more than that, honey.
0: I'm going to go and make my special curry dressing right now, and I'm going to make the kids eat it, and I'm going to go in honor of Raghavan. And when I give Raghavan the recipe, which I will do one day, he, this, could make, this could be his breaking moment. He may be able to get awards after I give him, that, after I give him my got
1: recipe. he every award they give in our category. In our category.
0: This is going to take him to the next level. I'm All telling right. you.
1: You know who's on tomorrow? You know what we're doing tomorrow?
0: We're what? Who? Where?
1: We What's are that? going to Texas.
0: Nice. And we are going to
1: taste a Texas whiskey. And we're going to have one of the Mm. all-time
2: world-famous
1: Texas-based cookbook authors, author of 37 James Beard Award-winning and IACP Julia Child Prize-winning cookbooks, author of the only Texas cookbook. We're going to have her on to do a food and whiskey pairing tasting. And we're going to do this with these incredible Texas whiskeys that we're going to introduce you to.
0: That sounds like a beautiful thing. Jennifer, kiss your loved ones and your babies. What did you say?
1: And count your blessings, everybody.
0: And we love you. We'll see you tomorrow.